But the thousand flowers bloom philosophy also belongs to mindset where where corporates still don't know what they mean by innovation. And then it's hard to focus. First of all, I know my business strategy. So I know the ambition of my company and the reason why I need what kind of innovation in the first place, right? Welcome to the Product Quest Podcast. Thank you for joining us on our journey to better understand innovation and product strategy. My name is Jan Vermut, and joining me as always, my co-hosts, Jonathan Edwards and Scott Burleson. Now, many of you innovators out there will have been faced with the following question about an early stage innovation idea. Yeah, okay, it's nice, but what's the ROI? Of course, sometimes you just don't know yet, and it's a bad question at a bad moment in time. But then again, management is there to manage, whether it's about the core or about new ventures. So how can we measure innovation? Our guest today took a brilliant approach to this problem, and she calls it innovation accounting, or the solution she called innovation accounting. Esther Gons is one of those thinkers in innovation that just seems to win a prize with every new public publication, and well-deserved, by the way. So together with Dan Toma and Tendai Vicky, she wrote The Corporate Startup, which won a 2019 Golden Axiom Business Book Award and the 2018 Management Book Award of the Year. The latest one, Innovation Accounting, again won a 2022 Axiom Business Book Gold Award. Esther is the co-founder, is the founder, sorry, the founder and CEO of Ground Control, an innovation management software that helps corporate startup teams with the structure and learning for new business models. Esther is an international speaker, an entrepreneur for over 20 years, and has mentored several hundred startups as an investor in the next startup ventures, lead mentor in the Rockstar Accelerator program, or in the Lean Startup Machine weekends. So Esther, welcome to the Product Quest podcast. Wow, such an introduction. <laughs> well, such it's a guest. <laughs> It's it's yeah, somehow, I don't know how. Listed. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> well, it's well deserved. And somehow that's something we we, we get we, we're good at these introductions, I think. That's that's something that comes up again and again. So well, maybe to start this, of course, my first question is how do you measure the ROI of an of, of a moonshot initiative or of innovation? Well, can you then, Yan, would be my next question. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the that's the question that leads to the biggest problem, right? Um, moonshots are bets, future bets and guesses. And since we cannot pick winners and since we're looking for that moonshot, there's a whole search going uh, from my dear to that business model and, and we cannot pick winners. So um, just going from ROI is, is, is going to be your biggest problem there then because what ROI, right? Yeah, I mean, this is the whole reasoning reasoning into the topic. So, good question. <laughs> okay, but so if you are in that situation, like if 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 that's what, how do you react, or where where do you where would you propose what then should be measured about innovation, or how should we go about this business? Yeah, I I'd like to always take a step back when when corporates ask me something like that, right? Because in in most companies, then innovation is is this one giant heap of entangled things concerning yeah. digitization, technology. Um, let's throw in some horizons. 
maybe we want new business models, but we're looking at new markets as well. Oh, and let's also educate all of our people because we need a better culture. And then we tie it up with a nice little bow and call that innovation. And in most cases, we make a team of maybe two or three people responsible for all of it. Then at least we've <laughs> checked the box, right? So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think um, that is where it, where where it all starts. And and I think the the biggest um, success for an innovation ecosystem is, is going back and look at it from a distance and then untangle, right? Untangle what mm. you're doing and and then decide why you're doing what. Mm. Um, and, and from there determine what kind of innovation you need and and then if you if you look at innovation from that point of view and and what kind of innovation you need then if you're doing um a little bit more risky kind of innovation like new business model innovation or like trying out a completely new technology or new or something completely new in a market uh, towards a new business model then you also realize that that is not something that um can be governed the same way that you're doing your digitization pro- projects, for instance, because there's there's lot there's a lot more risk involved, which also means that you probably have to try a lot more things to end up with that one single moonshot. So you have to approach it from a from a completely different way, um, and, and that is something that I think most companies only learn learn by by doing. Um, I spoke to to one of the uh, of our clients from Ground Control um, um, this afternoon, actually, and 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 they said what we realized is that we were spending a lot of money on projects like we would uh, with less risky projects. We we would we would uh, maybe try out a business case or have an idea and then write a business case and then try something, and it will cost us learning money in, in the seven digits. And that is not something that you can keep up if you if you want new market, new business model innovation because it's so much more risky and you might need thirty or fifty ideas even to get with that one moonshot. And then they said once we realized that, our biggest indicator was actually how how do we change this? How do we hmm. change that cost per learning into something that is feasible so that we can get a lot of learnings to be able to get to that one moonshot and i think once you realize that so there's different innovations and and the ones that is more risk risky let's approach that in a different way then you understand that okay maybe i need a new way of looking at my innovations rather than financial indicators um but you only need that if it's this risky, risky, risky in a kind of innovation. Um, so yeah, maybe this is a, a elaborate answer to in, towards your question. But <laughs> no, but I, I think I really a lot like, of companies, yeah. a lot of companies are still comparing each project or each idea with another idea, and they need need to see the business case and, and compare that to the other business case with with the money going in and the money coming out, which is just predictions because we don't know. And the more risky your innovation gets, and the the more new or newer markets th- there is, and you don't know anything about your, what what the people want or what they will want in in two to five years when maybe those pioneers become a mass market. Uh, the the more different that approach is going to need to be. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I like this a lot. I mean, I the, so this this first description that he gave of like innovation is a word for a thousand different things. And usually there is no, I mean, within a company, there is no agreed kind of definition or system. And I think that that's exactly where you're right. I mean, there, and then suddenly you you have kind of like they make category mistakes. So they take measures from one thing and then, but, but it's all over the place. So, so I like to step back and say, okay, what is kind of the nature of the thing that we're trying to do? And then, and then, which I really love about the book. And then let's try to figure out what are some of the measures that kind of correspond to that nature of, of, of what we're trying to do. Is that, is that fair to sum it up in a, in a certain way? Yeah, I guess, I guess that's, that's exactly how you would sum it up. Right. And then, and then of course you could use some of the indicators that we discuss in that book for, for maybe your digitization projects or other projects, because right it helps you steer towards something but it only makes sense to have a whole system uh, a new system for these more risky projects that you can't judge one on one uh, and you yeah. can't make a business case for because you don't know yet and it's yeah. it's uncertain yeah but but then i want to get into i mean i love maybe you did this probably did this consciously i love it i mean just the title innovation accounting i mean i, I know the idea traces back to i think eric eric Reese or just a, eric a phrase eric yeah but but that sounds like very clear financial measures very kind of noun to nitty-gritty details you can count or that's at least my horror image of what accounting is about but but what is it actually that you take from accounting and bring accounting and bring to innovation or the other way or the other way around all the way around. Yeah, funny you should ask, because the title also sometimes brings confusion when um, the financial departments ask if I if I am actually innovating accounting, accounting as a, as a, exactly. as a, yeah, but which they need because apparently the, the whole job of accounting is, is changing as well through, because of automation, because of business intelligence, they, they need a whole new way of looking at their yeah. own function. But um, and then they reach out and then they're saying, oh, are you doing something new? And they, they find out what what it is, what we mean by innovation accounting. And then they're intrigued because they are saying, oh, that means I finally have something that will help me look at the story before I have the financial story. And it's also something that will help us mitigate the risk. So. Mm that would make us both very happy because right now we don't know we know there is something going on in this in this whole part of innovation we need to invest we need to look at maybe internal ventures but we don't know what to do with it in terms of the story right and and yeah. i th i like that that the title actually uh, helped us being approached by these uh, financial um, people looking at it but but at, you you were asking about the accounting bit right so if you if you take a step back at the and look at the term it was a, it was as you said um coined by eric Ries, where he said the startup teams when they're looking for evidence because we're mm -hmm. looking at uh, uh risky ideas with a lot of uncertainty so you need to you need to validate or invalidate what you're doing not building just an assumptions um and, and, and I agree said, so that means startup teams need to be accountable for what they're doing. So if they're doing tests, if they're validating or invalidating their assumptions, then they need to set these criteria, right? And they need 
to be uh, accountable for the decisions that they are making towards that business model. So in his book, the innovation accounting bit was towards team-specific innovation accounting, mm -hmm. right? So as a team, if I'm moving forward, what kind of decisions am I making and based on what data? Now, if you put internal venture building, not in just one team, but in a corporate setting where you're saying, okay, we are going to use internal venture building to, with the goal to actually grow our impact on the world or grow our, um, uh, our company, then what you, you don't, you can't start that with one or two or three ventures. Then you have to say, we need to have a system in place where we can grow a lot of ideas into maybe one, two or three ventures. And that means you need a system Yeah. that holds you accountable for making these decisions. And that not only on team level, but also how do I manage this and how can I be accountable for the money that I spend, even though it's risk money, in a, 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 a useful way. So, yeah. and, 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 it, and it also works together, right? It's not that we're going to replace financial accounting, with innovation accounting. No, it's it's because the whole journey from idea to new business model is a journey that doesn't happen overnight, right? And, and a lot of people do think that when they see the success of, of Airbnb, for instance, they say, oh, this was an overnight success. It was amazing. And financial analysts are saying, this is amazing. How could we have not seen this sooner, right? Why didn't we see it before? Because we, we would love to step, would have stepped in before it actually became that successful um, thing. And if we look at it from a startup point of view, they were at it for 11, 12 years before they become that overnight yeah. success, right? They were, they were, they were um, renting out their air beds. They were, they were selling um, cereals just to bootstrap their whole idea and, and, and doing lots and lots of experiments. Uh, until they found out what worked and what didn't work on that platform. So that whole story that goes before th that financial story, that financial analysts say, we didn't see it coming. Hmm. You, need to, you need to be able to see it if you want to make decisions as a, as a, as a corporate where you yeah. invest that money, because that story can take three, five, seven years even. So how else can you make decisions? So, It's the part where you where you can't see a, a progress from a financial point of view, but you do need to make decisions from a team level or even a managerial level um, yeah. until the, the, the financial governance takes over. Yeah, I liked it. And I mean, you mentioned one of those, we'll get into, into this in a bit more detail. You mentioned one of those measures, which I really like, is cost per learning, which is one of those, I mean, there's a, a whole set of measures that you introduce, but, but what would you say to somebody? I mean, there is maybe this financial aspect, like how, how can I, how can I see this before it really happens? But then there is also, in my experience, a lot of, let's say innovators or ideas floating around innovation where people say, well, but, but innovation is a creative thing. You don't know that it's not, it's, it can't be a process. How can you, how can you, so how would you, what would you say to somebody who, From, from that corner, let's say, or from that side of the <laughs> critique. 
Yeah. So so usually I just let them try and they'll probably come back because you can, <laughs> right? You can say it's it's a process and you can't interfere with it. It's it's this whole creativity thing. We'll just give them a lot of money and then we'll we'll let it happen. But that indeed um, makes it impossible to stare on things like um, a cost of learning, right? So if it, like like we've said we've we've said before if you want to do this venture building thing within your company or what you want is to understand what how to steer on the most successful things that that make that process um something that you can repeat which means that maybe you want to to get people that are really good in this testing right and how do i know that they're good at it unless i actually structure that and measure it and and how do I know they get better at it if I don't if I don't uh, steer towards it? Just like with with uh, investments, if I as a company I'm used to investing a lot of money project by project, if I put that in 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 a, a wild idea that is that is risky, I'm just throwing it away, right? So I need to be able to invest in a different way, invest a lot of small bets. In, in just ideas that can be tested really cheap so that most of them will be invalidated and stopped so that I can use that money to double down on those that do have validation in the market. And that's a whole different perspective on looking at, um, looking at the investment for innovation, which means that if you, do, if you wanna do that right, Right? The only thing you have is structuring this process so that you can make it more efficient and then the creativity can exist, yeah. right? Because you, you need swimming lanes and some kind of structure to get creativity flowing. You, uh, give people a blank slate, for instance, and ask them to draw anything. Most of the time, nothing comes out because yeah. people don't know what to do. Yeah, and then you have to have the bi the, the 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 programming biases of people, and and that they're sort of honed in the way of the processes of the of the bigger company because they're used to that. That that's how they work. So if you just leave them, they will probably fall back on the processes that they already know, which is the company's processes for doing um, uh, uh, their exploitation of their current business model. So you need to give them something, something that they can get better at. So that's why that process and that structure is really important. You, you want to be sensible about your investments and your resources. So that's the thing you can make more efficient and that you can measure and, and, and that you don't want to just let go. And then the other things, creativity um, and thinking out of the box can exist. Just because you're giving them a structure to think within. I could ask a question about this testing. So I'm familiar yeah. with the lean startup and the testing cycles. And it, it makes sense, like in software world, you can do something quickly. But the world I originally came out of was tractors, John Deere. And so oh, that's so cool. Yeah, well, it was cool. We got to play on a lot, we got to play in the dirt and uh <laughs> we get to do a lot of we get to do a lot of fun things. But I've always struggled a little bit with this with this idea of testing as I imagined how I would use it. It's like, well, I've also I've sort of got this other rule in my head 
which is maybe some of these assumptions are bad, but one is that a, a customer can't really give good feedback until they've used something, which would mean, which would mean that if I, okay, if I give you nice, real nice drawings, how do you think you might use this? I'd be a little skeptical of their ability to truly tell me how they would use it. But also, so, but I think you see where I'm going with this. So it, it would not, there is, there's no, can't build a cheap tractor for somebody to try. So I feel a little bit stuck in this world of, I can't, I, can't I don't know how to test something cheaply. So I, I just feel, I feel sort of stuck. Is, would yeah. that still apply in that circumstance or, or what are, what are your thoughts? Well, that's exactly why Eric Ries wrote the, the Lean Startup book, right? And there's there's several books around how you can actually test stuff uh, by not doing the things that you're saying right now. Um, maybe the most important thing that I want to say say about it is actually the is is actually number one. Um, if you ask people what they're doing now and what their current problems are, and you ask it around mass the mass population, what you get is current problems and you get current solutions which, are, which aren't that risky. If you want to look a bit, little bit more in the future, you, you change perspective. You look at where the world is changing towards and what pioneers are already doing to understand future problem, problems and work mm -hmm. with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think then you get a different perspective of yeah. what new solutions might be possible. And then the other thing that you touched was how how can I interact with these people, right? If they don't know, I think the one of one of the most important books you have to read is the Mom Test. Mm. I'm a big fan of the Mom Test. We translated yeah. it with with Ground Control into Dutch as well. Um, you can't actually, and 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 in design thinking, people use things like observation. What are people doing to get around problems? And 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 how and how are they behaving? Because I think behavior is one of the the the, the nicest things to understand and study, because then then you understand people and what they're trying to get done, um, to solve problems for them. And and the biggest learning in that book was actually never use words like could and would, um, uh, because that is that, that is asking people to fantasize, which means that. You're you're asking them for a fantasy, and you'll you'll get a fantasy. That's how the mind works. Uh, so it's, so that is is it's it's basically all mindsets with with tools that you can use that are already out there, but you have to be structured about it to be able to be creative. So <laughs> it's an elaborate answer, but <laughs> are, are there? So let's say I had some cool tractor idea. How would yeah. I go about testing that? Just oh, if it's already a tractor, so what I mean, would you want to test? It's just an idea. It's just just an idea. We've drawn it up on a whiteboard. But but the thing is, no. I, I don't have to test the tractor uh, because people already buy tractors, so that's not a really risky endeavor, right? So I know people buy tractors. So I don't have to test that people buy tractors, and and then you might only need to test if the design is anything practical in a technical uh well, in a technical way right so you go ahead and test that but around would people buy that because we're talking about new business models if you if you want to use the lean startup 
uh, way, and that's why you need validation. You don't need to test if they if they are going to buy that tractors because people have proven that over and over again. Well, let it, me ask you a little bit differently. Let's imagine instead of blades cutting grass, we've got an idea, and we're going to cut grass with lasers. And so we want to understand if that's going to be an idea that's adopted. Are there tests we could do for that, or what would we do? <laughs> well, yeah, uh, again, it's it's cutting grass, so that's something the people either pay or don't pay for, and just make it easier for them. So that's a technical. It's again a technical implementation because with lasers you probably scorch the grass to the ground, so that might not be a handy thing to do. <laughs> and then will people pay you for? For scorching the earth, that's 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 the thing. No, but it's it's more around. I always explain it like, what are we trying to get done here, and how are we changing things? So, what do we need to actually validate? If I start to be, if if I start a new company, and I'm thinking, hey, I'm going to be this really nice, cool hair salon where I have all these new technologies. Uh, with mirrors, with 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 information in it, and maybe VR, so that you can see different hairdress um, hair um, solutions and and see the colors and if it works up front. And I probably have this real innovative hair studio. What do I need to test? Well, I don't need a test that people will come and cut hair because that's something that's been tested over and over again. I can I can probably go to the bank as well, and they say, well, depending on how bad or good of an entrepreneur you are, I will give you this loan because I can sort of calculate the profit that you, you can make if you put in this kind of investment. The only thing that I had to prove is, would I get back that investment of all of these innovative new VR mirrors um, by charging the people more? Because do they value that enough for them to pay me more is the only thing that I need to test that is in any way risky because all of the other things have been tested so then i need to understand what would that mirror give my clients would they would it give them something that they would commit value to and then think of a way how i could test that without having to build the actual mirror yeah yeah it's it's it it's so it's this i mean i think i like this a lot this this you're very clear on on let's distinguish what we're trying to build from from the assumptions that we have to test and prove so it's not that's not necessarily the same thing and some of the things that we might be trying to do we know them and for other things okay you can build a test and or you can even get a first indication of is the problem big enough so in this i mean you have this generic process where you say exploration discovery and so on where if you get a sense of if the problem is big enough that the technology might solve, that is all, that's, that's already a first hint, I would say, or a first kind of test of whether it's worth to build the thing or not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and then can you say that with certainty in, this, in the earliest phases? Of course not, but it's an indication. And then if you gradually start testing what other assumptions are there that are absolutely necessary for the business model and, and not for other things, then you gradually start to become less risky, more confident about um, that business model uh, being an opportunity or not. Yeah, I want to I want to get back to because because I, I realize so there's two measures at least in this. I mean, we'll get to this. You distinguish three different levels of innovation accounting, basically the tactical, the managerial, and the strategic uh, level. But I think within the tactical, at least there is these two 
measures that I really want to want to want you to explore or expand a little bit on is is cost per learning and the velocity of learning. I think that is something that would be really interesting because I think in the speed of learning is something that is this everybody is talking about. This day we need to get faster at learning. And so so how does this connect? What exactly is velocity of learning? How do you and, and how do you measure that? How do you do that in in, in this in this more tactical uh, innovation? Space. Yeah, yeah. The technical innovation is 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 about the teams themselves, right? And then, if you are doing vent internal venture building as a corporate, then each of these ventures are are going to be different. So you need to judge them get venture specific. But what you can do is look at your teams and how good are they in this exploration, discovery, and solution phases? How are they they moving towards a working business model? Well, the core business of any of these teams should be learning because essentially what you're doing is testing assumptions that are relevant for your business model um, with, a, with a high impact on your business model to be able to understand if you want to move forward with something or not. So the thing that they have to be good at and become good at is test it and make sure that things that can be stopped easily with a couple of key test like you were saying maybe see how big the problem is in the first place that's something that you want to happen you want to test a lot of ideas with not not a lot of money to be able to just focus on those that that prove any kind of market indication that it could this could be true and that means that you have to move or steer towards that learning uh, and the learning philosophy which means that you have to keep track of every experiment that you're doing. What do you want to learn? What have you learned from the experiment? Um, what is the data behind it? And then whether it's invalidated or validated doesn't matter. The success is when you've learned from it. What were the insights on which you based the decision that you wanted to stop, pivot, or move forward? And that learning, if you if you if you start tracking the experiments that you're doing the amount of experiments that you can you, that you for instance could be doing if you say hey we're we're working in sprints and experiments generally maybe uh, take two to three weeks right so in a month we could be doing this this amount of experiments and and go from there you either do it relatively or not relatively so in any sense learning philosophy is the amount of experiments that you can do in a period of time from which you have actually learned something. And that means that you, that from that learning, you can update your confidence level of the questions that we're asking in each phase. It means that you could, you, you're moving towards a decision that makes you say with confidence, this is something that we need to stop because the problem will never be big enough. Or this is something that we need to stop because I'm not seeing any market indication. This could be it is way too early or it simply means not going to happen right now. We're stopping it. Or it means we've seen market indication. There's a group of early evangelists already trying to solve this problem. And maybe in two years, this will be something worth solving because then we have mass market and we need to go and try it. So uh, that was actually one of my questions regarding how you know when you have to stop an initiative. Um, there's this this idea that it's 
um, it, it's impossible to prove that something that doesn't exist, that something doesn't exist, but it's, you know, you, you can always yeah. prove that something exists. So how do you know that you're not, you know, just a meter off from the diamond uh, mine, you know, and that you just need to go a bit more and, and, and get, get to it. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's the easiest thing to do, right. To get stuck in that whole funnel of, yeah, but maybe something else is going on. And that's why uh, it's so important to test and, and account for that. That's why Eric Ries coined the whole innovation accounting term in, in terms in any way, because whenever you are doing an experiment, make sure that you give yourself fail criteria, right? What would what should be the minimum um, for this to be able to actually have a working business model? So, so that's also why we like to to use fail criteria more than success criteria. Tristan Cromer wrote a, a, a brilliant blog post about this, um, about proving that uh, ping, penguins can't fly, right? So if you just have to, so it's impossible to find the truth in that, that because there could be still that one flying penguin that would disprove exactly. all yeah. of the other. <laughs> so read that blog post, right? No, but, but, it's it's a confidence level where you're saying we've at least find found some indication in the market that this is happening, right? So you have found people that are actually trying to solve that problem and you think the problem is going to be big enough. If you haven't found it, then you just stop it. Like whenever there's not enough evidence, then you stop it. Even if you if you are feeling that then maybe around the corner there is evidence that's fine you can you can still treat that idea as a diamond and put it on the shelf and try again a couple of years later when it might be time to actually do it um but it doesn't make sense to spend a whole lot of money on that if there's no real evidence right now and easy to find because that also means that you probably can't find your clients in an easy way and reach them because there has to be some kind of market validation. And if I may, I, I had a, another specification question around the nature of the bets. Um, just so we're talking about the we're talking about the same things. Um, is a bet on as let's say a solution, so like the lasers, or in to take Scott's example. Or is a bet on a kind of problem in the in the market? So you buy it. So, so what's the nature of the bets that we're doing here? So I would I usually call from my perspective. I usually go an innovation thesis, a future bet. Whereas a company, you're saying, if the context of the world is going into this way and trends will change. The context around the job to be done of of uh, of people in this in this situation will change as well, which means we can bet around that uh, job to be done or problem, um, which gives you a way to look at um, future innovation in a different way because it's it's hard to come up with with ideas just off the bat around a theme like a technology lasers because that will always get you in the mindset of what can i do with it right now so that's hard so i usually 
I usually advise corporates not to do their future bets around a certain technology. Of course, you have to keep track of that technology and technology is changing the way that people's jobs are being done. So that's where your opportunity is. But it's hard to do it with just a theme or a technology because that doesn't help you change your mindset towards, so what does that mean for me two years from now solving my job with that new technology? And that's how you can actually get more ideas in that future bet. So I would say your future bet is an innovation thesis around something that is changing maybe through technology in the world. The context of a job to be done or a problem is changing. And that's why you feel there is an opportunity there. Yeah, I think this word or well, it's two words, but innovation thesis, I think it's worth elaborating. I mean, I mean, it's it, it, the people who have read the books, they, they they kind of have an idea of what this is, but I think it could slip away under 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 the rug and, and just mean well. But can you elaborate on what an innovation thesis is? Because I think that is really something it it could be really helpful for a couple of people I have in my the back of my mind. Um, yeah, and it also evolves with how people read the book, so that's also very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> no, so. Most companies or corporates are used to um, either have a corporate strategy and vision towards the future where they're saying, hey, this is how I move my corporate business into the future. So they say 50 years from now and we're, and we're using scenario thinking um, around certain technologies to understand what we should do with our assets. Right? That's, that's how they're doing their corporate uh, future strategy. But that means there's a sort of blind spot in the middle there. So not 50 or 30 or 20 years from now, but in the middle, say five to 10 years from now, stuff will happen that they say, well, we don't know about. We know it will change because of the technologies, but we don't know how it will change or how it will give us new opportunities to look at new markets or new business models. And, and that's where the innovation thesis comes in because that will help you understand if I look at the future five years from now, if I look at the trends that are happening in there and there and and they will keep happening, how will that change um, the problems for our clients? And and then you decide if that is something that we believe in. So we believe that in I don't know what seven years from now. Uh, the world has changed into we don't use banks anymore because I don't know they they fall apart and, and people, <laughs> then 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 that is a future bet that you will take and 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 you use that and describe with it why you're thinking that so what what context is changing what technologies is enabling that new world and mm. and how will you bet so how will where will you invest in that. Where will you look for new business models? But also, what parts of that will you not explore or invest in because you don't believe in 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 that? This is the part um, I really like. So, I mean, we've switched now oh, from the more tactical okay. to the to the managerial level, I would say, <laughs> uh, yeah. without mentioning. But but and you you so you make this very important that that in this innovation thesis there is also an, an anti thesis. Like, yes. So. so yeah. Can you elaborate on it and why is that so important? I think I would imagine that is 
or okay that is what what's really hard to do as well <laughs> so yeah but sometimes it's also easier because for a lot of companies if i if i if i help them with their innovation strategy and they're going like but we don't know and 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 uh, we don't know where to look it's sometimes it is easy because from bi a business strategy point of view they already know where not to go because as a business they have decided never to mm -hmm. look into or never to be the researcher who researches this kind of technology or never build something themselves. So sometimes it's easier to say that because it's already in the business strategy, which will help then to look at the innovation uh, thesis uh, a little more easier. And also, um, well, we just discussed the penguins, right? And the same goes for opportunities because it's 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 easy to um, see all of the opportunities in the world but an innovation thesis helps you focus on a specific future bet that you will explore through maybe venture building and you could have a different future bet that you say well we'll explore that to um, uh, to corporate uh, investment because that's something that we will not do ourselves and then that focus will help you be more successful in 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 structuring spending your money in yeah. in becoming good at what you're doing but that also means that there also might be opportunities that you're not taking which means it's important to block what you're doing in terms of thesis and inside thesis whether what am i not doing currently and then validate from there understand if that future bet has some kind of uh truth in it right can i see in, in a year from now, if any of the ideas that I came up with ha has at least reached a second stage or a first stage, if not, then readjust your, your thesis yeah. um, rather than have something really broad because you don't want to miss any opportunities. Yeah, and I, I think this is really a helpful tool just to try and write this out because the, the, the other approach that well, let's let's try a thousand different things and not have any kind of strategy. It's in brackets easier to do, or something that that some companies are, are are tempted to do because, well, we should explore everything. But but then you end up with the seven digits digit spending and nothing's come coming back. So I really like this this let's let let's at least try to have some kind of guidance before we <laughs> let a thousand flowers bloom in a certain sense. Exactly. But the thousand flowers bloom philosophy also belongs to that mindset where, where corporates still don't know what they mean by innovation. And then it's hard to focus, right? Yeah. So once you shift from that and understand, hey, I've taken this step, step back, I know, first of all, I know my business strategy. So I know the ambition of my company and the reason why I need what kind of innovation in the first place, right? Maybe I decide right now to do not do not any venture innovation because I still have to work really hard on all of my digitization and robotization projects because there's a there's a there's a legacy there and that that could be a strategy. So understand why you're doing innovation and the need for it, and then from there you can you can decide what kind of innovation. What kind of options are there? Because there's so many more options than most co companies under, yes. uh, understand, right? No, it's not just working with startups or no, it's not just internal venture building. There's there's so much more out there. And then from there, decide the tools that you need to be able to govern that and to be able to uh, decide what is what is working, what isn't.
Yeah. So, so in this whole, 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 let's say judging the whole innovation system and that, and that's more a systems level perspective, like what are, what's our broad kind of strategy or thesis that, that we work in, you, you, you propose in the book, a, a venture board as a solution yeah. or as a kind of a steering committee kind of thing. But, but so, so what, what, what exactly is the task of that venture board and what, what, how should they go about measuring the whole, the kind of the progress of their innovation system? Yeah. Yeah. I think the venture board is one of the things that uh, enforces both the new way of working, right? The validated kind of working that you need to be able to do with risky innovation, as well as making decisions from data um, from a investment perspective, rather than, and that's what people used uh, are used to with in most companies, um, looking either at pitches and feeling um, feeling some kind of emotional bond, uh, bond with, with the team pitching and then decide from there, right? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> to avoid that project-wise one-on-one decision based on um, what investment do we need to get some kind, what kind of ROI out of it, to avoid um, pitching with where, where somebody that is really good at pitching gets all of the money and, and people that that are actually yeah. good at doing their job in learning don't get any money. It yeah. it makes sense to have a team that is really good at data um, driven decision making. So they know upfront we are looking at a funnel where it is sensible to have a lot of ideas in the beginning of that funnel and judge based on actual market data whether or not something can move forward with what kind of investment uh, to be able to have um uh, the right kind of money that then we can double down on the ones that do validate right so that mindset is important as well as what do we ask these teams right so what do we want to see from them how do we decide on who goes forward or not and if you have that if you ask these right questions then the teams are also enforced to do that kind of of, of way of working so if if i as a, a a decision maker on investment money ask for a pretty pitch and what kind of shiny box you can show me even if it's not true yet you get that if you as an adventure board ask for what confidence do you have in answering the question of yeah. is there a problem big enough to solve uh, right now and can you show me what kind of experiment you did and what data came out of that experiment or on, on what did you base that decision, then you have a different conversation and, and you can actually make that decision uh, in an informed way. Yeah. And I then you don't have to compare things um, project per project, but you're, you're, you're comparing the, the funnel. Yeah. Well, you can see, I'm wondering, one question I have about the testing is, I'm, Maybe this going is back to the tractor. It's sorry, the sorry, no, no, no. Thing, right? I'm, actually, I'm sort of thinking about what you normally learned with like qualitative type work, you know, conversational voice of customer, as opposed to what you the statistical, you know, validity you get with the higher sample. The um, it seems you would desire that statistical validity, yeah, but it seems like that could be difficult type information to learn in a survey format. So it seems never like- Never use surveys. What's that? 
so what so when you're when you're getting that customer feedback is qualitative type information adequate in some circumstances or do you really still need do you need higher samples to feel so that you can extrapolate what you've learned so that that determined that is also determined by the phase that you're in if you're in the first explore, explorative stages of an idea you're essentially looking at what kind of problem do these people have and what people are they in the first place, which means that you want to learn about the specific jobs to be done. And you can't, you cannot do that by quantitative learning because you're asking for the why over and over again. So that then there specifically is, is really qualitative learning. Never use survey type of uh, testing that you're doing. But once you get to solution tests, um, revenue tests and stuff like that. What you're doing is not only learning, but you're already, already, but you're also confirming that that what you've learned is true in bigger numbers, which means then you can you can get to more quantitative learning. But that also shows your funnel, right? Your funnel will be very risky from your left hand side, where the where the funnel is big and you have these multiple 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 ideas that you can test quickly by easy and cheap tests like interviews because they're qualitative and you're just trying to understand the why where you're moving towards the right where and you're getting more certain which means that I can confirm that with more people because I need that that so it, it shifts as soon as I'm going to solution experiments and tests and revenue tests I can do a b testing I, I can do multiple confirmed tests and learnings to see if if something will work or not with numbers yes but that depends on on where you are in the in the product life cycle right so later in that cycle you would do survey type <clears throat> things but with technologies or with uh concepts where they would they would evaluate a concept in a survey type tool yeah, I'm not a fan of certified types tool at all yeah. <laughs> because it doesn't learn you anything, right? So what do you have to understand is does something, can I learn from something like that? So I'd rather do a test where I actually look at people's behavior, right? And then have maybe an online test where I can confirm with a lot of people and, and have this larger sample than that I would do a, sur a survey. So you still, do, you still need a higher sample eventually. But not necessarily if, a survey with some kind of let let them if you are have yeah, right if you if you're them. moving towards a less risky so from idea I'm trying to, to figure out whether or not people would want this if the problem mm -hmm. is big enough I can do it with simple tests qualitative tests like interviews like observing stuff like that if I get more certain and maybe I'm trying to get figure out solutions. I can start to test options in, in, in terms of solutions with multiple people. If then I have built one version of my solution that people seem to like, I can do bigger tests to confirm what I've learned with bigger numbers and then move from there until you're ready to scale with large numbers. Got it. And can you maybe <clears throat> just expand on, on this idea that surveys don't, provide learning i'm i'm having trouble to understand at what level you mean this okay what kind of questions would you expect in a survey well i mean broadly how how well did this experience go with this uh, this or that product i mean that's the general theme i guess you would uh, 
try and uh, talk about and try and explore uh, so the satisfaction and then say, levels say, say you're asking me that right and i answer very well how would that help you um so it well i mean i guess it's a kind of a leading question so uh you know i mean the obvious answer is <laughs> exactly and most much, but... most 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 questions in surface are yes. are exactly that I'll, I'll try and reframe my questions is the problem is the problem with survey is fundamentally people are not truthful in how they answer or they don't know or they cannot uh, they cannot convey what their true experience is through a survey or is the problem with surveys more fundamental in the sense that it they don't explain anything they don't help explain things they don't help um they 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 give you a bunch of data about for example how satisfied someone is with something or other but they will not tell you why this person is satisfied or not with something. So it's, for me, these are two quite fairly different prob potential problems with surveys. And I just wanted to get your your opinion on that. Yeah, yeah, I would say all of the above. The most important one <laughs> for me always is you cannot ask the why, right? And that's if you are learning to understand why people are doing things, what their job to be done is, and if if you're solving their problem, then you need to be able to ask why all of the time. and um, that's also why you need to go, you go back from quantitative learning to qualitative learning again. And you have this learn and confirm loop because even if you're doing a solution test and you have a lot of people already in your solution and you're seeing that your statistics are changing and people are dropping off, a survey won't help you because you need to be able to ask them why they are dropping off and what their problem is to be able to solve that problem specifically so i think that is one of the biggest problems that you can't ask why but also um you can only put the questions in your survey that you know about so all of the unknown and unknowns that are out there will never get to you because you cannot ask them because you don't know them and i think that's also one of the bigger problems you need to be able to stand understand your clients and, and that means you need to be able to to give them some way of telling them things that you didn't know before. And I think it's okay to, if you have, if you just want to understand in mass statistics what people are swaying to mostly to see if that's true and start with a survey, but never forget that that will that won't give you answers and you might have to go back to qualitative learning to be able to see if that's true or not. So for me, it's important to have that loop of learn and confirm tests. I think there's, there's I mean, just this this week, I had two discussions with, with, so one is in marketing, one is in product development, but if you really take, I mean, and companies are good at producing those, these standard customer satisfaction surveys, or these, they, they run them all the time. And they, they won't tell that in public, but in secret, they will say, we get these service results once a month. They're freshly updated. I don't know how much money we spend on it. And I have no clue what to do with them. <laughs> and it's, I, it's not actionable. I, I think there might be a little a different yeah. way of doing those surveys and so on. And that's then a different question. But, but honestly, exactly as you, I mean, what do you do 
let's say you run uh, over 12 months, every month you run an NPS study and it drops or it goes up. Well, okay, that it's good to know, but yeah, but what how do does it you help do? you? What do you yeah. do? And, 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 and then the other thing is that, like Jonathan, Jonathan uh, already said, is that how truthful are you in filling this in, right? So, did you, if you ever get this MPS uh, thing, yes. you need to fill in. Do you ever get one? So Microsoft, and they are asking you how happy you are to to uh, tell others that you're so happy about about uh, Explorer, for instance, or whatever they version they have right now. And so, how do you how do you answer that truthfully? Is it okay, I'm going through these questions because I don't have time. So how helpful are these kind of mindsets when filling this in, in, in understanding? I think there uh, are, I'm going to make a tent. There are a way of doing smart surveys that kind of they are. manage yeah, these problems, I, but, but, but in and general. There, I, there, I, I, and I there's also agree. ways that it's smart to have a survey, but then I would say make sure that you can do a follow-up if people are saying something that you didn't expect. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, so I, I need to, let's, so we, we've been jumping a little bit in this tactical and the, and the managerial way basically of looking at, and, and believe me in the book, it's, you're a hundred times, you're more systematic than the questions we're asking. So you're very systematic you break it down into steps. There is all this process and, and kind of, we jump around of course, because, for us as well, innovation means a thousand different things. But what I want to get to is the strategic level. And there, I mean, that's it's there's a provocation in there. I mean, it starts, I think it even starts with that sentence, if I'm, I, I'm right. Yeah. In, in the strategic, uh, uh, so, so like in the strategic rung, in the highest level of innovation accounting, there is this sentence, innovation doesn't matter. Yeah. What have we been talking about for the past hour? <laughs> Why? Why do we even talk about? It? What do you mean? Innovation doesn't matter. Yeah, it's, it's it's what we talked about before, right? It's about why do you need innovation in the first place? It's about what are you trying to achieve as a company? What kind of value are you creating as a company, and and through what means are you going to be doing this? Is what should be the most important. Uh, the, the prevalent question for your organization. And there's a lot of organizations that are using innovation for innovation's sake. <laughs> and, and to me, it's the importance is strategically, what are your ambitions as a company? What value are you trying to create? What impact are you making on the world? And then decide what tools and what options do I have to make that happen? what am I already doing and what do I need to be doing to get there? And then innovation is, is part of that. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot of companies out there that just innovating to be innovating because maybe that will make them more attractive for yeah. people to invest in. I don't know. Or because it's obvious that everyone should, I don't know, yeah. but it should never Innovation should never be a goal in itself. Mm -hmm. The goal yeah. is that you want to achieve something as a company. You want to grow towards, you want to be something valuable or have impact on the world. And to be able to reach that, you need to do something. And you look at what you're doing right now and then decide, okay, 
I need to continue what I'm doing or, or upgrade this or transform myself completely depending on what kind of company you are right now and then decide, which means I need to, to do this and this and this. Yeah, yeah. I like this a lot. So this, this, this have a kind of, what's the purpose behind innovation itself? Because it's not a, it's not a, it, you have to somewhere. It's not a fun activity where you sit in beanbags and sip coffee. It's, there is a purpose to, or should be a purpose. To right. It. And, and only if you have that, can you steer towards whether or not what you're doing is, is a good thing, right? So you want to, you, you also need to be able to understand is, is what I'm doing right now working yeah. or not, but you can only, do that if you know what the ambition was or the value creation that you wanted to do uh, is in the first place. I think that is one of the key advantages, I think, of, of what you're proposing. And in general, of, of this idea of measuring, it makes, on the one hand, it makes the decision of people like the venture board or whoever then is deciding, it makes them much more credible. And you know where to work to. If you have a measurement, you, 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 you know what you need to do. And if you're working towards the measurement, you know that you're doing something good. So, and I think that is very often lacking in this, in this, in, in the whole innovation space. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to work against. And even kind of the, let's say mid-level or up, they struggle to give those measurements. How do I measure my team is very, very difficult to do. Um, yeah. And then, and then measuring the team is, is then still quite easy because in most types of innovation you want to learn, but is it doing what it's supposed to do? So if the strategy is moving towards, I don't know, some kind of impact, and we need to do that through innovation because we can't make that impact with what we have in, in business right now, then that strategy is that strategy is then translated into the innovation thesis with which you start doing that. And the teams start to be the execution of that strategy. And then if there's enough ideas changing into problem solution phase, then that's the proof of that strategy working and, and it feeds back into your portfolio. Yeah. And then you have, okay, this is progress. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and it, and it helps the value creation of, of my company. Yeah. So in your, in, when you work with, 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 with companies or it's, so, so where, where, where do you start introducing that system? Where, what are kind of the, the tiny first steps that you can do to, to, I mean, I, I imagine it's now that like, okay, we take a month, we establish the system and then that's problem solved. Like, how do you? <laughs> no. Yeah. And, uh, and in, in practice, it's, it's harder than in theory. Right. So it, it never works like that. So rule number one for me is never top down. So there's companies out there that write this beautiful innovation strategy with all of the definitions of innovation and then the system that they are going to use and the KPIs that they are going to use. And then they say, this is what we're going to be doing. And they drop it, right? And then, well, nothing happens for, for a couple of months. And then usually they call me and they're saying, Esther, nothing happens. What should we do? <laughs> yeah. No, so your company right now is at a certain point in time where you decide whether what kind of innovation you need and only if you're doing internal venture building or or any kind of risky uncertain innovation do you need an actual system next to the processes that you already have so 
it, det it depends on what kind of innovation you're doing within your company and why you're doing it. And then only if you have more than one or two or even three ideas that you're picking up, does it make sense to actually start implementing a, a, a big gover a governing system, right? And, and then I usually start with what do we have right now? Clear a little bit of the table to make sure that you have some room to wiggle. <laughs> and then start with the, with a few um, indicators that, or and, and a few tools that are important to start with. And then I wouldn't start with maybe one layer. So you, what you're seeing is that a lot of teams start with their team's indicators and then don't enforce it with an adventure board and um, mm. the way you invest. So if you don't do it that, that way, um, the old system will always keep existing. So you have to make sure that even if you use a little, uh, a, a little bit of the learnings from the book, make sure that you enforce it in all the layers. Right. If oh, okay. I'm, so like take if, a slice from doing, all the levels, exactly. not just, okay. yeah, so not just that. What is that? A, her, a vertical slice, I think. Yes. Because okay. if your teams are doing uh, excellent work in learning and you're, you're focusing on their learning philosophy and you want them to, to get data on learning mm -hmm. philosophy and confidence levels, but the, the, the next step to the next phase is still being done by pitches in front of the board. Then the board will ask things like, what will the eventual ROI be? How does the solution look? Yeah, I don't know. I'm taught to do uh, data-driven learning philosophy things, right? Uh, but if you want me to make a, a pretty pitch to get my investment, I want my investment. So I'm sure, uh, sure I'll conform to that again just to get my investment. Yeah. So it's important to look at all of the levels and start where you are right now, but with all the levels in place to enforce that new way of thinking. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So that the pieces kind of they stack upon each other, at least in one layer that is okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. So I want to sneak in one one question before we kind of get get to the end of this. I mean, now we've always been measuring like innovation projects or teams and everything like that. But is there a way to measure executives is there a measure to kind of how innovative is the c-suite how can you go about that maybe these are the wrong people how do you, <laughs> <laughs> you don't well, have to that means <laughs> that means you have a system in place to measure people in the first place right i think that's okay, hard yeah. as well yeah so measuring people asking people to clone people is is also hard Measuring culture or capabilities is a pos is possible, right? You, and you want to be able to look at how does that work. So in teams, you are right. You want diverse teams and and stuff like that to be able to create to be creative. I'm not sure if we, if we want to measure the executive board, <laughs> we could. <laughs> but what we have to understand is that the C-suite is there to do the exploitation of the current business models, and they're paid a pretty penny to do that so that's what they're best at so please leave them to do that as long as there are people next to them in that board that understand that risky venture of venture building and make yeah. sure that there is some some air cover for the innovation teams below that yeah, yeah. and that can explain to the people that are exploiting that maybe exploring need to be 
judged in a different way to be able to get the investments going. But they're paid to do the exploiting things. That's why they have that amount of money because the exploiting gets them the money. Yeah, (laughs) That's how it works. (laughs) We like that. Keep them doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And they like, and I mean, in the book, just, just for our listeners, there's, I mean, you have a whole chapter where you lay out the different roles in the venture board and, and what do you suggest kind of what, what would be sensible to include and what kind of roles would be sensible to include. So I think that's worth pointing out. Um, there is what, okay, sorry. And we're going a little bit over time, but I, I want to touch at least upon one thing you, you mentioned it. So that's why I'm bringing it up as well, where you say, Hey, it's so difficult to, to, to measure capabilities and, and, and innovation capabilities as such. And there is one chapter in there. And I think that's, that's one that intrigued me a lot, which is the, I think the eighth chapter or so uh, to the, to the end of the book, where it's about measuring innovation, innovation, HR capabilities. So can you elaborate a little bit on what that is, how you go about it? I imagine that is one of the most difficult things to do. Not that the other thing is easy, but it gets harder and harder. I think as the more and more the book progresses, or is that wrong to say? I don't know. No, it's, I think um, it's one of the layers, actually, the culture and the capabilities. And that's, uh, that's, that's why it's in there, because it's very evident. We were talking about the layers before, right? It's very evident that we need the three layers of where teams are really good at what they're doing, because they need to be exploring and testing all these ideas to the market. And then we need to manage these teams in the funnel to understand what needs to be stopped and moved forward and that the teams can be more efficient and then it needs to connect to strategy up top. But then everything that we're doing in that system is influenced by the people that you have doing that and the culture within your company accepting the new system and accepting that different way of working. And that is something that is often quite intangible to people, right? They're saying, oh, but we want to have a different culture, but they don't know how to go about. And what we're trying to do here is saying um, it is intangible. It's like clouds, but there is things within the clouds, like the, the drops of water that you can measure to be able to move towards something slightly different because you have influence on your culture and the capabilities of your people uh, if you look at the right things, right? So you want to you, you measure the capabilities in the innovation teams and then understand, do I have enough people that are good at that exploration phase, right? Um, do I have enough diversity of people that can help me move forward? And that doesn't mean that you just need the curious um, explorative people because you need structured people as well, but you need the way the new way of thinking you need people that understand what to test and when to test it right um and understand that wood like we discussed before might be not a good idea to test so that level of education is something that you can do with people and then understand do they need more education right do enough people understand it that's things that you can actually test and then change it I must say I like this a lot. There is like thousands of different things that we didn't didn't yet touch upon. <laughs> so I really recommend the book. Um, 
just in general, where can, so if, if you really want to get into it and in this whole innovation accounting stuff, where, where can people find out more about you, about innovation accounting? Where should they start if they're interested in, in, in that kind of thing? Uh, that depends on where you are, but there is, uh, we have a, uh, we have a web website for both books. So if there is a website for the corporate startup book and there is a website for the innovation accounting book, both.com at the end. Uh, where you can start reading our blog posts about it um, or start with the executive summary, <laughs> of yeah. course. Um, and then, um, well, you can find all of us uh, writers online. Um, you can look at uh, Ground Control, our website with all of our blog posts, mostly around testing and how you do that as, as teams, uh, which might be interesting. Um you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn if you want to reach out and, and ask Snapchat questions. And Snapchat and TikTok and no, or yeah, I do have all of it because I oh, test. Really? Yeah, I test all of those. I'm on, on Snapchat and on TikTok, oh, uh, on Discord, on uh, Clubhouse, on um, yeah. You probably feel, find me as Wilch uh, uh, or Wilchje on any of these platforms, which is Willow in Dutch, but yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so I usually test so them when, whenever something new comes out. I want to test how that yeah, works yeah. and how people interact. So I yeah. literally have accounts everywhere. <laughs> I, I'm not active on on every platform, though. <laughs> okay, perfect. So so I don't know, Jonathan Scott, do you want to get a uh, question in? Or? One, just one more as we're sort of going sure. to the end. Imagine it's 1975 and you're like the senior director, VP or something at Kodak. And then this young engineer comes up to you and says, hey, I've got this filmless uh, filmless uh, photography project I've been working on. What do you, what's what's your next step? What do you say to him? <laughs> it's so easy to do this in hindsight. Why would we want to do this in hindsight? <laughs> Throw all your money at it. <laughs> no, but at that point in time, I think that proves that, that, that strategy was probably towards exploiting the current business model and not seeing, not having the data to see that that might already have been fading at that point in time. I think it proves sort of the importance of understanding what what business intelligence you, and what kind of data is important to, to make decisions on. So if you would have looked at that business model at that point in time, would you have already seen the fade of, of of the of that and and then maybe a decision towards let's explore that because we might need that in a couple of years i'm seeing that the numbers decrease here is easier to say than if there's no sign at all because why then would you believe um believe that especially when you're kodak right um yeah yeah i think there is there is a i don't have any proof for this and i think would like to gather some kind of trying to get together some evidence for this. But I believe that for many companies, they're almost, it's almost like they're dying too slow to realize it. So it's, it's, it's kind of the numbers go down, but it's so subtle and slow that, that, that it takes, you have to systematically have a process to kind of gather signals around the stuff that you're doing in order to realize what is really happening. But like the core goes down too slow in order to realize, because if, if it would go down quickly, 
there it would be clear a clear indication for action but it's kind of yeah it goes down a bit Bob, but never really okay so it's kind of you can waddle through a couple of years well anyway i have no proof for this it's just a hypothesis no but it's it's a it's a big bias even if it's going fast and there's this this um sudden change for instance i'm working with a um a petrochemical company where it's pretty clear that there is a, a fade well, the, in the yeah. business model of cleaning petrochemical plants right mm. but because of the 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 energy crisis there was a peak again yeah. in the business which for them meant i'm not seeing it right now because yeah. it's going up again while the trend is is going down pretty fast but i think that's just human bias yeah, it's like with climate change. I'm not yeah. seeing it because it's snowing in April. It's hard. I think that's hard. That's just people. Yeah, that's why data is important. That's why measuring is important. So Esther, thanks a lot uh, for doing this. I enjoyed enjoyed it a lot. I recommend the books. Really, they're they're great. I recommend to follow Esther on whatever platform. Apparently, <laughs> Andrew. Free. Read their things, so that's that's uh, yeah, strong recommendation. So, and that concludes today's Product Quest podcast. So, please send any comments or ideas for future shows to productquestpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, see you next time. So, but there is more of you than I expected, so that's good for not. Oh, sorry, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>